when God began to create heaven and earth, and the earth then was welter and waste, and darkness over the deep, and God's breath was hovering over the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And it was evening, and it was morning, first day. And it was evening, and it was morning, third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and they shall be signs for the fixed times and for days and years, and they shall be lights in the vault of the heavens to light up the earth. And so it was, and God made the two great lights, the great light for dominion of day and the small light for dominion of night and all of the stars. And God placed them in the vault of the heavens to light up the earth and to have dominion over day and night and to divide, to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. This is the word of the Lord. I know we all hate it when the pastor uses his, his or her family as a sermon illustration, but I just want to say that my husband has been sick all week long with a sinus infection. And because I'm pretty sure he's not watching online, I'm just going to say, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to give you some premarital advice, and I don't do this. I don't give anybody marital or parenting advice, but I will give you this. Before you marry someone, find out how they act when they're really sick. <laughs> Might be a deal breaker. So my mercy and compassion has run a little low this week. And I get to church this morning and I sit down and I realize, huh, I don't feel so well. <laughs> so that's why I have my mask on. So I guess that's what I get for being unmerciful this week. I'm kidding. Who was afraid of the dark as a child? Raise your hand. Who, it never bothered them at all? Never. Okay, never. What were you afraid of, of the, in the dark? Monsters. Right, monsters. Snakes, okay. Did you live in a, I mean, Okay, he did, he lived in that, okay. Who else? What were you afraid of? Yes. Well, that'll do it. That'll do it. Who else? Yes. Oh. That's right. Mandy said she read Stephen King really early and was afraid of all the things she didn't know if they existed or not. Yes. The unknown. The unknown. That's right. That's right. Who else? Yeah. Yeah. I was just about to say, who had parents that said that to them? Yeah, yeah, nothing good, right? 
I love how Richard Rohr talks about the either or and the and and, and how we, we have this dualistic thinking and we think light is good and dark is bad. But for those of us that are a little bit around my age, we grew up, our parents did, watching westerns. I mean, my parents will still, we saw them at Christmas, they were watching a black and white western when I walked in the door and I'm like, are they not all the same story? It's kind of like those Hallmark Christmas movies. It's the same story. Everybody's wearing flannel. And in the westerns, people get shot, and the bad guys wear black, and the good guys wear white. Angels wear white. Has anybody ever seen an angel, like in a play or a movie, that dressed in black? Um, Satan. Satan's red, right? That's right. We've been taught, some of us have been taught, to be afraid of the dark. Some of us had no choice but to be afraid of the dark, but that's another subject for another time. I love this Genesis translation from Robert Alter, and um, he's a Hebrew scholar. He just has a way with words that is just absolutely beautiful. So when he says, and the earth then was welter and waste, and darkness over the deep, and God's breath was hovering over the waters. Mm, that's beautiful. So welter and waste, futility, emptiness, to move in a turbulent fashion even. It's a large number of items in no order, a confused mass. Barbara Brown Taylor describes darkness as the absence of God. And I think for the most part, part, we all want to avoid that. I mean, no one really wants to walk into a season of suffering or unknown or scary things, pain or hardship, right? And yet we're all going to do it. Whether we want to or not, there's going to come a minute where we get thrown on this path and we have no idea what's going on or what's going to happen. For me, Barbara Brown Taylor's book, Learning to Walk in the Dark, really helped me unpack a lot of my thoughts about dark and night, um, that even God created the dark, and he said it was good too. And, you know, for years since my childhood, I've always been afraid of the dark. Um, I've slept with a light on somewhere to this very day. I slept with a light on last night. I always have to have a light on somewhere. It gets embarrassing when you go on girls' trips and you're asking the girls, can we leave the bathroom light on, please? Now, lucky for me, I, you know, my friends were always understanding, but it's embarrassing to say I need a light. And metaphorically speaking, we don't want to walk in the dark. We like to know what's going on. We like to see it. You know, here's a thought, too, that came to me this week. Even Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. You know, he, he really wasn't looking forward to it either. But sometimes we know the cup does not get passed. Sometimes we get to drink it. We walk in the valley of the shadow of death sometimes. We go through divorce and, and loss of a partner and cancer and children are sick and and, and children that who we have no idea if, if they will survive or if we, maybe we won't. We get thrown into the darkness of financial instability and 
mental illness, ours and someone we love. We all get thrown into the dark sometimes. And for me, whenever I would hear a sermon or read a book or an article about suffering, it was always this positive thinking. It was, God's got you. God's got you in the palm of your, his hand. God loves you. God's going to get you through. Oh, those are nice things to say, and those are things we should say when we're encouraging one another. But I need a little bit more than that. I wanted somebody to tell me, how do I do it? How do I walk through this mess? How do I get out of this with my head still attached? Tell me how. How am I going to get out of I'm not going to get out of this situation anytime soon. So how do I make it? Tell me how to walk in the dark. When your life and my life is moving in that turbulent, chaotic fashion, and there are large items in our lives that are out of order and make no sense, we need to know how to do that. We need to know how to walk through that. A couple of Sundays, I mean a couple of years ago here, I preached on Joseph in one sermon. I don't know if you know this or not, but the story of Joseph in Genesis is chapters 37 through 50 in the book of Genesis, and I tried to cram it all into one 25-minute sermon. And I was ambitious, but I knew that I wanted to come back to it one day because there's just so much to unpack in the life of Joseph. And so that's what our Lenten series will be about. We're going to walk through the dark with Joseph, maybe learn a thing or two. You know, if, if any biblical character could teach us about walking in the darkness, it's Joseph. He was flawed. He was resilient. He was smart. He was dumb. He was full of hubris. He was full of regret. He was forgiving, and he was also petty. He was a brat. He was a favorite son. He was righteous, and he was a tad vengeful. So at this time, if you're using a Bible app, go ahead and open that up with me uh, to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to have scripture discussion, but we're going to do it at the end of the sermon, but before benediction. So hold on. Verses 2 is where I'll start. This is the account of Jacob's descendants. Joseph was 17 years old and tended the flock with his brothers. While he was helping the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, Joseph told their father unflattering things about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was born when Jacob was old. Jacob had made for him a long robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his other brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk nicely to him. I, uh, I, if you've known me for longer than five minutes, you have to have known that if I'm going to stand up here and talk about Joseph's coat of many colors, I'm going to wear a coat of many colors. <laughs> That's who I am. That is my DNA. Who are the babies in the family? In the room. Raise your hand if you're the baby of the family. Okay? Okay? Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Elmer said, What about the middle? That was such a middle child thing to say. That was amazing. Amazing. How many firstborns who have a younger sibling? How many firstborns? 
Me too. Me too. Did the baby and the family get away with murder in your house? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. My son, Sam, uh, my three older children, um, he was seven years old when I got pregnant with Celeste. And so Sam was, you know, really quite happy with his role in our house as being the baby. He really liked that role. He did not like Celeste that much. <laughs> I like to joke that he still doesn't like Celeste that much. They've come a long way, but it's hard. Um, the other day, my husband, Terry, was joking with me about not making Celeste get a job or something like that. I don't know, he's fussing about, not fussing, but like we were having a conversation, da 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 and I was like, look, you don't understand. Those other three kids like to killed me when they were teenagers with one thing after the other, and I did not think I would survive it. Celeste is great. <laughs> I... I mean, we're good. And I said, I, I don't want to rock any boats here. I'm just happy to have one kid that seems to be sailing through life. The other three eventually landed on their feet. But at the time, my goodness. But now that <clears throat> my oldest son is living close to us and around us all the time, he'll watch Celeste get to do things or not do things or whatever, and he's like, who are you? You would have never let me do that. Never. And I tell him the same thing. I'm tired. You three kids about killed me. I'm taking a break from parenting this last one. I'm not saying that Jacob was right in how he was raising Joseph. But I do understand it. The New Interpreter's Commentary says... Joseph evidently now has a relationship with his father that the others do not have. That's not a good setup for success. And Joseph does himself no favors with the whole telling his dad and flattering things about his brothers. I mean, come on. Read the room, Joseph. Of course Joseph knew he was the favorite son. He had the coat. He knew. He was young, but he knew. Can you think of a time of when you were favored over someone else? Anyone? Anyone want to share what that was like? Yeah. Oh. I love that. Oh, I think that's very fair. Lisa was... Say that again. Yeah. Right, right. Can you think of a time when you were clearly not the favored one? Do we have those experiences? Yeah, yeah. I would think that a, that a room full of Omaga ones, we probably all have experienced not being the favored one, right? But let's keep going with verse 5. Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, which made them hate him even more. 
he said to them, listen to this dream I had. When we were binding stalks of grain in the field, my stalk got up and stood upright, while your stalks gathered around it and bowed down to my stalk. His brothers said to him, will you really be our king and rule over us? So they hated him even more because of the dreams he told them. Now you see why I said Joseph was dumb. <laughs> Joseph had another dream and described it to his brothers. I've just dreamed again, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he described it to his father and brothers, his father scolded him and said to him, What kind of dreams have you dreamed? Am I, your, am I and your mother and your brothers supposed to come and bow down to the ground in front of you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father took careful note of the matter. How many of you said dumb and sensitive and untimely things at 17 years old? Exactly. How many of you said dumb and sensitive things yesterday? I told you my husband's sick, right? So yeah, that I did. Joseph tells them, I'm going to be in authority over you. I'm going to have power over you. The commentary that I read said that Joseph chooses to share uninterpreted dreams with those most effective makes for deeper misunderstanding. His silence regarding their interpretations intensifies the difficulties. He could have just said, there's no way that's what that means. I don't know what that means. I'm just telling you. But he's silent. And keep this in mind. No one ever bows down to Joseph. Even in the end, nobody bows to him. Joseph acts insensitively, even arrogantly, and he only exacerbates the problem. This is Joseph's brat moment, and we all have them. This is not to dig on Joseph. I have a brat moment. I had one yesterday. We have our brat moments. We're, not at, we're just not thinking clearly. We don't, we don't read the room very well sometimes either. We all have them. So the story moves along, and Joseph's brothers are out working in the field. And Jacob says to Joseph, I want you to go check on your, feet, check on your brothers and check on the sheep. And so in verse 18 we read, Then they saw Joseph in the distance before he got close to them, and they plotted to kill him. The brothers said to each other, Here comes this big dreamer. Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and we'll say a wild animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard what they said, he saved him from them, telling them, let's not take his life. Reuben said to them, don't spill his blood, throw him into the desert cistern, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben intended to save Joseph from them and take him back to the father. Reuben, the firstborn, naturally has a smidgen of decency in him. Well, let me say this. Joseph was flawed. We are flawed. Joseph was a brat. Joseph was insensitive. But he did not deserve being thrown into a cistern. <laughs> this wasn't punishment for him. He didn't deserve that. We don't get thrown into suffering and chaos and darkness because we deserve it. 
we might be thrown into the dark because of natural consequences of our own actions, of our own words, but not because we deserve it. We don't get cancer diagnosis because we didn't tithe. We didn't get a flat tire because we said an unkind word to our partner this morning. Koheleth, the writer of Ecclesiastes, says, Time and chance happen to us all. And then in verse 23, When Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's long robe, took him and threw him into the cistern, an empty cistern with no water in it. When they sat down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with camels carrying sweet resin, medicinal resin, and fragrant resin on their way to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and hide his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not harm him because he's our brother. He's family. Now they remember? Now they remember. Oh, this is our brother. Wow. His brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. They sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and found that Joseph wasn't in it, he tore his clothes. Then he returned to his brothers and said, The boy's gone, and where can I go now? In 31, his brothers took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They took the long robe, brought it to their father, and said, We found this. See if it's your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph must have been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put a simple mourning cloth around his waist, and mourned for his son for many days. All of his sons and daughters got up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, telling them, I'll go to my grave mourning for my son. And Joseph's father wept for him. And meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph to the Egyptians, to Potiphar, Pharaoh's chief officer, commander of the royal guard. Now this is where we have scripture discussion. Family dynamics are complicated, are they not? (laughs) I taught a series on the patriarchs many years ago, and this story was part of it. And uh, we, we discussed a lot about Jacob's, um, the drive that he had to claim Joseph as his favorite and how destructive that is. And there was one woman in the room, she was around my age, she had two small children, a boy and a girl. The boy was older, the girl was around three or four, I think the boy was probably around seven or eight. And the little boy was just soft and biddable and whatever she asked him to do. He was a reader, he was thoughtful, he was kind. He did sweet things for his mom. and He was just the little gem of their home. And then the little girl was not anything like that. She was hell on wheels. She was, you ain't gonna boss me. I mean, you know, at a young age and so you could see how much that stressed her trying to parent this little girl. And she confessed in that room, she said, sometimes he is my favorite. And in a room full of mothers, and we all got a tear in our eye because it can be the truth. Not that they're the favorite, but some kids are easier to parent than others. 
the ones that are challenging, we have to remind ourselves sometimes. We don't play favorites. But there are some kids that are easier to parent. And I think her saying that out loud was just like this. She said that out loud. Nobody says that out loud. Nobody. But she did. I think the thing with Jacob being so heartbroken, I can't help but wonder, did he think this is my punishment for deceiving my brother out of the birthright? You know, Jacob was called the trickster. Jacob is not the best character in the Old Testament. He tricked his father for the birthright. He was the youngest. And when I read that scripture about him tearing his clothes and weeping, I can't help but think, did he think that? Oh, this is the, this is the chickens coming home to roost kind of thing.